Well, today we are in week two of a sermon series that I'm calling Action Required. Action Required. You might remember that in the sermon series that we finished a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at all the things uh, that God does for us. And in this particular sermon series, we're not focusing on what God does, but on what God requires. Now last week we used the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I suggested to you that the action required is evidenced in that passage of Scripture is that you and I are meant to love unconditionally. That, we're, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to love the people who love us back or love the people who can do something in return for our love or, or to love people who are lovable. That story was about loving people that we and the world might not consider lovable. That story is about loving people that can't do anything in return for our love. That story is about loving people that aren't always loving to us. And in today's passage of Scripture, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, I believe that the uh, point of this particular story, at least one of them, is that you and I can become distracted by important things and those important things can keep us from focusing on other important things. So that the action required might be that you and I occasionally need to stop and listen to what God and the Holy Spirit might be saying to us about our priorities. Now this morning, as I was thinking about what I might say in a way of an opening illustration in today's sermon, and as I thought about Thursday night's sermon that I did in the soulful service on unanswered prayer, I felt convicted to talk about something that I've never talked about from the pulpit before, and that's my divorce. I was married to a really, really good woman for 20 years. And when our marriage ended, when she decided that she no longer wanted to be married, I wanted to blame her for everything that was wrong in our relationship. And I wanted to make her responsible for the fact that our marriage did not survive. And so I decided I really needed some help to process through my thoughts and my feelings, and so I began to go to counseling. And one of the things that I realized is something that deep in my heart I already knew, and that's that in, in just about all failed marriages, if not every failed marriage, it's never one person's fault. And so my journey with counseling then began to help me to understand what part I contributed into the failure of my marriage. And one of the things that quickly became obvious to me 
as to why my marriage ended up failing is because early on in my marriage, it appeared as if I loved the church more than I loved my wife. I could rationalize it. I could justify it. I could say, well, I'm just starting out brand new as a pastor, and I want to make sure that the district superintendent and the bishop and my church and my conference and my denomination know that I've got the goods that it takes to be an effective, a fruitful and faithful pastor. I want to make sure that they can see that, that I can pastor some of the larger and more prestigious churches like St. Mark's United Methodist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And so I gave everything that I had to the church. Putting the church first in every possible way thinking that my wife would understand. Because in the end, it would all work out and I'd get these bigger appointments and these higher salaries and I could take better care of my family. I got distracted by something really important. But by focusing on something that was important, it prevented me from focusing on something else that was also very important. And I think that's what is going on in our Scripture lesson this morning. You see, Jesus makes what I suspect was an unannounced visit to Martha and Mary's house that day. Uh, just judging by the way she reacts, I've got a feeling this woman had no clue that Jesus was going to show up. And let's be real, it probably wasn't just Jesus. I mean, Luke sets the story up for us. He says that Jesus and the disciples all went together. So I can just imagine that when Martha opens the door of her home after she hears a knock, there's not just Jesus standing there, but it's lots of other disciples as well. And, and I can imagine that if you've ever been invited, uh, if you've ever had company to come over to your house uninvited, you can imagine what's probably going through Martha's mind. Well, I wish this guy would have let me know that him and some of his closest buddies were going to stop unannounced at my house today. And yet, like any good host would do, you never let them see you sweat, do you? And so she invites them in and says, okay, I would have preferred that I had known that you were coming today, but since I didn't, just come on in, and I'm going to seek to make you feel right at home. And so Luke says that this woman Martha begins to go through all of these tasks, and he doesn't really tell us what those tasks are, but I'm guessing that chief among her tasks after welcoming Jesus and potentially lots of others into the home that day was that she found herself in the kitchen trying to whip up something for all of these people to eat. That would have been to honor the lifelong tradition of hospitality that had been going on at least as far back as when Father Abraham and his wife Sarah 
invited those three mysterious guests into their home, and we learned that perhaps it was none other than the Trinity itself. In Genesis chapter 18. And so can't you just see Martha in the kitchen? She's flipping through her cookbook. She's going into the pantry. She's looking to see if she's got the ingredients that she needs in order to make the recipe that she's found in her cookbook. Can't you just see her realizing that, oh, I don't have all of the ingredients that I need to make this particular dish. Now I've got to come up with some substitutes to throw in there so that I can still make the dish, but so that it can be just as appealing to the people that I'm trying to feed. In my mind, it's like that show that my wife Hillary watches, that supermarket stakeout. You know, you've only got so many ingredients and you've only got so much time to make it and somehow or another you've got to take the ingredients that you've got and take the amount of time that you have and you've got to cook up something for those master chefs to eat. And yet, this is the master. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the King of Kings. This is all of the original disciples. I can just imagine that that's kind of what's going through Martha's mind. There's just so much to do. You've got to cut up the vegetables. You've got to boil the water. You've got to make sure that the meat is not undercooked or overcooked. You've got to plate the food. You've got to appropriately garnish the food. And then you've got to share it with those people and hope that they like it. Now, the only thing worse than having to prepare a big meal for Jesus and a bunch of disciples that perhaps you didn't even know was coming is to have to do it by yourself. And here she is slaving away in the kitchen while her sister Mary is sitting in there listening to Jesus. And don't you know that Martha wanted to make sure that Mary got to listen to her? Can't you just imagine that she's in there just slinging pots and pans like Brother Jim was doing a little while ago? Can't you just see her in there stewing and boiling mad because she's in here doing something really important while her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus? And it's at this point that Luke offers an editorial comment that I think is absolutely essential to understanding the story. Luke tells us that Martha was distracted. She was focused on something that was really important. Hospitality was absolutely essential in this day and time but she was distracted and it kept her from something that was equally important and according to Jesus, even more important than what she was doing. The word that we have translated as distracted actually means dragged away. Martha has been dragged away from something really, really important in order to do something important. And it's driving her crazy. So she goes into the room where Jesus is and she says to Jesus, do you not care 
that I am in there slaving away all by myself. Tell my sister that she needs to get in there and do something important. And then Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha. Now at this point, I wish Luke would have offered another editorial comment. I'd like to know what Martha, Martha really means. Is it expressing this deep emotion? Or is it a rebuke of Martha? A lot of people seem to think that it is a rebuke of Martha, but I'm here to tell you, church, if it is a rebuke to Martha, I don't think it's a rebuke to Chef Martha. I don't think it's a rebuke of busy Martha. I don't think it's a rebuke to hospitable Martha. I think if it's a rebuke, it's a rebuke to distracted Martha. Because sometimes you can get locked in on something so important but it prevents you from focusing on something that may be even more important. That's at least one of the reasons why my marriage failed. I was focused on something important, but in the end game, it wasn't what was really important. Now, I am so thankful that I've had a second chance to be loved and to love. I've been loved well through the years, church, but I've never been loved by the way the woman that loves me back there. And I hope and pray to God that I learned something from a failed marriage. And that I learned how easy it is that you can be focused on something important, that you miss out on something even more important. And friends, I think that's why this story is in Scripture. I think that's the reason, because God knows how easy it is to convince ourselves that what I'm doing right here is important. And what God wants us to remember is, hey, that's fine, but don't forget this over here, because in the, in the end, it might be even more important. Don't get dragged away. Don't get distracted by something important so that you miss out on something that's even more important. And so today I think is a good time for us to ask the question of each of us, what is it in our lives that threatens to drag us away from what is really important. And when I think about what is really important in this life, I think it's relationships. I think it's our relationships with our spouse. It's a relationship with our partner. It's a relationship with our parents. It's a relationship with our children. It's a relationship with our friends. It's our relationship with God. What is it 
that while it's important, might be pulling us, dragging us away from what is really important. Now it might be sewing for you, and it might be softball. It might be Harlequin romance, or it might be SpongeBob SquarePants. It might be social media, or it might be social anxiety. What is it that is dragging us away from the relationships that really, really matter? Now, as I end the sermon today, here's what I don't want to happen. I'm not trying to make you feel shame. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Because I think this is something that every single one of us struggle with. You're not alone if you found yourselves placing too much focus on one important thing to the exclusion of something else. The point of the sermon today is not to inflict shame, but to invite us to ask ourselves the question, is this story an example of some action that is required in our lives? Is there anything in our life that we've been focusing so much on that we've neglected something equally or even more important? And I have to believe that the answer is yes for every single one of us. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? There is need for only one thing. What Mary had chosen was the most important. What's most important for you? May God give us the grace to stop and to listen to what this story might have to say about our priorities.